Hello, everyone. It's Vasily Lambos, and we're back with another episode of Designing Digital Excellence. And when I think about excellence, there's no better person to talk about digital excellence than our special guest today, Brian Benstock. He's the general manager and vice president of Paragon Honda and Paragon Acura. Brian, welcome to the show, and thank you for your time today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me, Vasily. I appreciate it. So I'd love to hear a little bit about your story. We talk about all the unconventional ways that people get into automotive. And I've been so captivated, you know, listening to you on Clubhouse. Could you tell us a little bit about your story about how you got into automotive? I started selling um, Hondas at a place called PS Honda uh, on Long Island. It's um, when I was 22 years old. It's 1982. I was told if you're going to sell cars, you should do it on the North Shore of Long Island. If you're going to sell a car, you should sell Honda. And if you're going to sell Hondas, you should work for Paul Singer. And armed with that, I went and applied for a job from a a woman named Nancy Phillips. I was, I, I was 21 years old. I, I, I took a job in the car business until uh, something better came along. And here I am all those years later. Um, and I realized nothing better has come along. And I've been blessed to be in this wonderful industry for uh, I love years, it. About 38 years. Yeah. Love it, Brian. It's amazing. I, I, I hear every day and everyone is like, you know, <laughs> How'd you get in the industry? And I, you know, I got into it through such a you know unconventional way. I was just talking about digital marketing with um, someone at a company I worked at, Red Ventures, early in my career. And he's like, you know, we got this company that we're trying to court. Uh, you know, they're they're called Hendrick Automotive. I was like, Hendrick, never heard of them. And back then, I was just you know just clueless because I was you know some digital nerd at at some com- marketing company. And but I was like, hey, I love cars, so let's do it. And that turned into a beautiful you know accelerated career and I met amazing people like yourself. Um, and so today when we talk about digital marketing, we talk about digital excellence, we keep talking about how do we take the consumer, provide that consumer with the best possible experience from the top of the funnel to the bottom of the funnel. And lately I, I've been super inspired by how you talk about end-to-end solutions in the automotive space. For dealerships listening in or GMs or, or dealer principals who are interested in learning about what that means, you know, could you talk a little bit about what the best ideal scenario would be for an end-to-end solution? Well, you know, we just uh, recently landed an automobile uh, on Mars. Well, I don't know if it's an automobile, but we landed a vehicle on Mars. And if we can get a vehicle on Mars, I, somewhere in my brain, I believe that we can have a digital solution uh, for people buying a car. We can buy everything that we want to buy on our cell phone today. The consumer experience has never been better than it is right now in all verticals, yet in the automotive vertical, it's remained relatively unchanged. So I think there's a real opportunity there for us to relook at um, everything. And I think that's why you add so much value to the industry. You came in from a digital side, right? And then you became automotive and now you're this hybrid, right? And I think that gives you a real edge. Provided you learn the the basics of the automobile business, you can be a, a real player in this, in this space because there's a lot of people that are in the automotive space and learn digital. And you, you're coming from a different perspective and I like your perspective uh, better. I appreciate that. And, and those kinds of word, the kind of words there really mean a lot, Brian. I, when I think about you know, the, the paradigm in different industries and I've, I, I started my you know, digital marketing kind of prowess being more industry agnostic. And I think yeah. as you get into automotive, it's hard not to go very, very deep into automotive. And many times I think we overlook the details. 
And so when I think about the details, I think about this idea of digital retailing and how we're solving for digital retailing in the, in, in the landscape today, whether that's a tool on your website or an ad that, that lands on a landing page with a third party, it's very convoluted. And so when we think about cutting down or simplifying the consumer experience, what are some areas that we can do that today as a dealer to greatly increase you know, our, our leads or greatly increase our performance you know, at the store level? You're a young man and uh, our career paths were very different, but they're very similar. I came into the automobile business, a, a blank tape, a, a computer with nothing on the, the hard, hard drive. And I, I went in and I saw these men, these older men that were selling cars and supporting their families. And I said, wow, he's not really great. And he can pay for a house and his kids. If I, if I get better than that person, I, I, I can do really well here. And I, I had no preconceived notions when I got in to the business, but what I saw everywhere, there were these ways that they were doing things that didn't make sense to me. And sure enough, I went through a training program and they convinced me why it should take three days to get a car. Um, you're coming in from a, the perspective the same way, you're coming in with a digital head and you're sitting there and you're, you must be scratching your head. Like, why do they do it? Well, this doesn't make sense. This is, I'm not seeing this anywhere else. And you're talking about digital retailing and um, I'm gonna ask you to change that. It's, it's modern retailing. It, it's, it's not digital retail, it's modern retailing today. And as a part of any and all businesses, you know, mix there. And, and so to se separate, you know, when you buy something on Apple, you don't say, well, I, I, you know, I went to the digital retail store and bought, I went online, I bought it from apple.com. And isn't it amazing how they've taken an online experience and made that online experience very similar to a very good customer experience in the store. I think, you know, we, we call that the click matching the brick. That, that online experience matches the in-store experience. And we're trying to do that uh, at Paragon. Uh, and, and I think for us to have that solution, uh, I'm gonna say something most of my colleagues aren't gonna like, we have to let go of almost everything we learned in the car business. You know, we have to, as Toppler said in Future Shock, we have to learn, unlearn, and then relearn. And, and so we need to unlearn a lot of what we're doing because we keep building these hybrid models that are based so much on what we already know, the processes that we already know. And we're not necessarily looking at things from what we should have learned from what's going on in the customer experience now in the outside world. What, what is a customer experiencing at the other end of their iPhone, right? And, and are, they, are they able to get a price when they wanna buy something on Amazon? Every time, every single time, but that's not the case on too many of our platforms, you know, call the manager for the special, call the BDC, can't give you a price, gotta come in. And, and, and so we've got this online uh, uh, store, people go to the online store, we tell them you gotta call us, that's a mistake, you gotta call us. Then when they call, we try and set an appointment to get them to come in. And, you know, I, I don't know that that's the way it's done on any of the major uh, platforms, right? Let's take a look at uh, Amazon. Can you imagine if they said you got to come in? I can't give you the price. What? It makes sense. Can you imagine if you, you went online at Amazon at 9.30 at night and said, sorry, we're closed. You reopen tomorrow morning at 8.30. 100%. Closed. So how do we how do we solve for that? And the other thing uh, that I think these major guys have figured out, <clears throat> they can solve most of these problems without the need for someone to call somebody else. And so we really need to take a good look at that and say, why are we so dependent on the labor intensive call process when many of these things can be customized and automated uh, to better serve the customer. No, I love that. And 
you know, when I, when I look at the industry as a whole and specifically a franchise dealer model, and we have so much influence from the OEM from both a price and incentive and even a brand voice, you know, perspective. And I try to package this to, like you said, you know, hands off or to be, or to simplify it, right. Make it a little bit more easier to mentally operationalize. Cause I think we like to overcomplicate things in automotive. And so, you know, in terms of brand voice, brand promise, your value proposition, the message that you're delivering to the local market, what do you think are ways that dealers could simplify that in order for them to be effective, you know, in their communities and, and to, and to create that consistency and brand separate from like the OEM. You can't simplify it until you identify it. And I think most dealers, if you ask them, what is your brand essence? You probably have uh, some people stumbling to give you a question. What's your core essence? What's your, what's your outer essence, right? And, and so for us, the, the, the brand essence is, we believe the future is frictionless. And your brand essence should be something that is unobtainable, right? Because there's always going to be some sort of friction in a transaction, right? So, so that, that's the essence of where we want to be, where we want Paragon to go is a completely frictionless uh, environment. And outside of that, uh, you know, the core outside of that is, is what are we doing now? And we want to take friction out of every transaction, whether it's sales, service, new cars, used cars, telephone, BDC, internet. We want to reduce the amount of friction that's in there. And sadly, uh, and, and, and uh, honestly, a lot of the friction is associated with profitability in the dealership. We built that friction in. So we have to find ways to be uh, servant to the customer, to take the friction out, and to retain a reasonable return on their efforts. Uh, and, and I think one of the ways you do that is you make it easier for people to buy your products. And, and, and by doing so, you may have a little bit less margin for a transaction, but you've got a much larger audience. That's phenomenal. So talk about a, talk about a process, right? A very a process that has many lanes or, or many ways of feeding your cash registers as a business. We talk about vehicle exchange programs. I feel like it's been such a, a important topic for dealerships who are looking to, you know, replenish their inventory, get more uh, customers, retain customers. There's so many different uh, levers you can pull in the vehicle exchange process. And I've seen a plethora of, of ways that dealers are doing this successfully, but there's no better person than, than I think Brian Bensock when it comes to vehicle exchange. You guys, I know are like the top number one for CPO dealer in the country. And I think you, you've done that for many years. And I, I was on a clubhouse talk uh, with one of your colleagues and they were, they were talking about the complexity in having your service department separate from the dealership location. And I'd love to, to hear like, what was the tactical way that you guys slimmed down the consumer experience when it came to vehicle exchange? Okay, so uh, you're right. The vehicle exchange is something that's been sort of a um, very important part of my career. Um, the, it really took off for me during uh, the, the Great Recession. And you look at all these things that happened, but in 2008, um, there was a switch, right? New car sales crashed and everybody said, well, you transition to used car sales. And where do you get used cars, right? If people are not trading in new cars, where do you go to get used cars? So, you know, I, I know what to do. We'll go to the auction. There are a bunch of people at the auction that look like me with their hand up in the air. And, and so if you want to acquire a used car, you had to overpay for it. Overpaying for a used car during a recession puts you in a bad spot, right? You're going to then struggle to get a margin on that car once you have it. 
Um, and it, it occurred to me when I was in my service department, there are a lot of used Hondas coming into the service department. In fact, there are no Subarus or no Toyotas or no Nissans, 100% Hondas. And wouldn't it be great if we could make a value proposition to our customers whereby we could lower their current monthly payment uh, and get them a, a, a brand new car by trading in their car with us. And, you know, and the customers would get the uh, benefit of taking advantage of the higher used car prices during the recession. And uh, the knee-jerk reaction from customers is, no, we're in a recession. Well, there's no better time to save money than we're in a recession. Don't let that tragedy go to waste. And, and we, we, um, I, I have to give a, a gentleman named uh, Paul Nygaard credit for it. I was at NADA. Uh, early in 2009 or, or, or 2008. And um, I said to Paul, Paul, you run 71 stores at the Paul Miller Group. How do you do it? And he gave me the BS answer. Uh, we hire good people and we train them right. Yeah, I, me too. But how do you run a monster like that? And, and he said, I reserve the right to manage my business. And I, I mean, some of the most profound things in my life are the simplest. And I don't do this too often when I'm talking to somebody. I hang on, and I reached into my pocket and I got a business card. And I wrote on the back of that, I reserve the right to manage my business, Paul Nygaard. And I put it in my pocket. And, you know, what? It, again, we're in relatively good times, pandemic uh, excluded uh, right now. But that was, um, that was a scary time at the end of 2008, beginning 2009. And, you know, Paul reminded me that if the um, repossession man is coming to take a business away, they're going to take your name off the building, if your name's on the building. They're not gonna fire uh, your manager, they're coming for your business and you're responsible for it. And I thought that was profound and it was a reminder, hey man, you're in charge. We put you in charge for a reason. Can you please be in charge? So I got back to the dealership and I said, you know, we have been going to the service department and harvesting sales out of the service department. Catch as catch can. Oh, we're slow, we're slow today. Okay, since I went to the service department. And they would, they would go into the service department like a prisoner of war. And I decided, hey, this is really simple. I understand how this should work. And I took a, a gentleman named Leo and I said, Leo, Monday, you start in the service department. And I took a finance manager. I said to, to that gentleman, Hamid, Hamid, you're working in the service department. And they said, but I don't want to work in the service department. I said, I, I understand. I'm not asking you. I reserve the right to manage my business. If you'd wanted to work there, you'd have asked me. You'd have asked me. I am asking you to go and they said, well, I don't want to do it. And I said, well, then where are you working on Monday? I reserve the right to manage my business. And I will, I'm not a son of a gun, uh, despite uh, some people think I'm tough and mean. I'm not, neither of those things. I said, value proposition was I gave them 90 days of the same pay, uh, saying, hey, I'll guarantee the pay you earn before you earn there in the service department. And we didn't put our toe in the water. Uh, I, the vision was I put a full team there and uh, I put them in lab coats because. Who do you respect? You respect doctors, nurses, and lab coats. And, and, and they were actually, you know, uh, and they had clipboards. And they would go there and they'd ask some questions. Vasilis, are you here for service today? Yes. Okay. And, and um, uh, is there a payment associated with this car? There is. Hey, uh, there's a program going on right now for American Honda where we can take you out of your current car, put you into a new car, and lower your monthly payment. Are you, are you interested? No, I'm not interested. So that's great. And that's okay. But let me just understand that you'd rather keep your older car at the higher monthly payment. I can just, I'm, for my own curiosity, can you just tell me why? Well, you know, I'm comfortable with the car. I don't want to do anything now. And, and we're just, we're in the sales funnel, right? We're in the sales funnel. And the, the other reason that the vehicle exchange um, has such, and, and so we started doing that. And of course, um, uh, we, we now generate anywhere from um, three to $700,000 a month 
uh, in, in direct uh, profit. And if you take the trade-ins and you look at that profit, it's substantially more than that per month. And take a look at the transaction. It's the most valuable transaction in the dealership. You, you acquire a used car at, at the price you want to pay. You're not bidding against anybody. You sell a new car, right? So you get the gross on that front end gross, uh, back end gross and, and parts and finance. And then um, there's an RO on that used car you just took in that goes through the shop. And for us, we certify every car that we can that's allowable by Honda. And that service RO is anywhere from sixteen dollars to $1,800. 72% of that is profit. And then, of course, we sell that used car when you've got whatever your average gross is. We took um, the value of one of those transactions, and, and that's the new car sale, the used car sale, and, and the RO. And it was over $7,000 per transaction holistically. And, and, and when we looked at it that way, and, and I think we need to look at transactions holistically and the lifetime value of the customer. But at $7,200, well, the only question you should have after that is how many? right? How many of these can we do? But it's, what, what else is important is it gives us alignment. And you talked about the factory dealer relationship briefly. Um, the, it, this feeds the new car profit center. This feeds the parts department twice. This feeds the used car uh, service department. It feeds the service department for labor on the new car. It feeds the service department for labor on the used car. It feeds your finance department with the lease or the finance on the new car. It feeds your uh, finance department with the uh, finance contract on the used car, the vehicle, uh, the vehicle service contract potentially on the used car. And so it feeds each of the dealer's profit centers. It also feeds each of the OEM's profit centers. So it makes it win-win. And by the way, it's also good for the customer. So, you know, to me, it, it checked all the boxes there. And, um, that's why we've been actively engaged in the vehicle exchange program. No, it's it's amazing. I I am so appreciative of just the well the depth that you went in on on that topic because it's in the details, it's in the granularity that you're going to succeed. And you mentioned lifetime value. You mentioned the the cost really to acquire a customer, right? And and when I think about this from a marketing perspective, I think dealers could do a better job of thinking about their media mix modeling. And how they're looking at that. You said you look at your your total gross and the re- and where that that gross provides the most value holistically. If you're looking at your media mix model holistically as well, you'll be able to dial in your strategy, create campaigns to continue to push things like, hey, we buy your car in your local local market. And I think there's a lot of dealerships that have the potential to to continue to do that. Now, for you know, I think we talk about a lot of the technicals. And I think holistically, you can't get anywhere without a great team. And the one thing that I really appreciate about you, Brian, is how you talk about culture and people. Yeah, you might come across as being a little bit tough around the edges sometimes, but you know what? That's the cult. That's what we need today. We need to. We need some transparency. We need. We need where, to have people who are going to lead and motivate. Where have love- all the leaders gone? Is a great book. Uh, by, by Lee Iacocca, and it is so darn true. It's an old book now, but where have all the leaders gone? And um, you know, so I appreciate the, the, those comments. I, I, it's not about being raw or tough or any of that stuff. I think as a leader, we have a, an obligation to do just that. You don't need permission to lead. You can be a salesperson, be a leader. You can be a manager and be a leader. You should be a leader if you're a manager. 
and, and you know, uh, my, my business card has no title on it. There's no title there. I don't call myself a leader or the general manager or vice president. You know, I, I'm coach on the field and I expect my players to perform. And I, I, thankfully I've attracted like-minded individuals that, you know, hey, let's go, let's go get it. And, and, and some of my guys, you know, they get a kick in the butt and they understand that and they're good with it because, you know, it's never not deserved. It's always, you know, something like that. And, I, you know, I, my, my business partner, my boss, Paul Singer, before he passed away, was extremely tough on me. He was appreciative of what I did and what I contributed, but he was tough on me. And he was always fair and he always uh, level-headed, always. Uh, he was elegant, eloquent, uh, but tough. And, um, you know, he expected performance. He expected results. Results is what we're here for. And I sort of carry on with a different style, uh, but I carry on that tradition. And uh, the culture at the dealership is one. I've got our guys convinced we are the New York Yankees. We're the New York Yankees or the Chicago Bulls during the heyday. Our uniforms need to look the part. The field needs to be lined correctly before the fans get to the stadium. And, and, And we are expected to win. We are expected to win. That's what we do. We win. I love that. I, I'm, you know, I, I think I resonate with that. I, you got to wake up. You got to want it. You want to organize yourself and, and achieve excellence. You know, we, we talk about achieving excellence, both from a digital perspective, but you have to do it with your people. You have to do it with your mindset. And, you know, I, I love to see even, you know, your investment in, in health and your investment in, in making sure that it is it's body, mind, spirit, and if there's one thing I know about automotive as an industry, we are committed to this and we are truly athletes, right? In this space, you know, are there any, you know, I think, um, I know this is like kind of rounding out our topics on people and culture, but are there any, you know, ways that you, you think, uh, a dealer principal, you know, if you were to inspire them today to, to give them tips, like how do you better motivate your people, you know, on like a Saturday, you know, sales, you know, meeting or, and so forth, like, what are some of those core tips or the message that you try to put in your people every day to, to succeed and hit these, hit these goals? You know, we, um, we've been having Saturday morning meetings on Clubhouse now for the past three weeks, and it's, it was pretty funny how it happened by accident. I love getting together with the team on Saturday morning. That's about, hey, let's go, getting everyone stoked up. It's not beat-up session. It, it's about, you know, getting get the fire in the belly going. And with the advent of COVID, we really haven't been able to have that. And a couple of my guys are saying, you know, I miss that, I miss that, I miss that. Uh, and some of the managers don't miss it, but the, the sales guys uh, miss it because that can be tough on the managers and you have high expectations of them. Uh, and I like to gear, you know, know your audience and the audience on a Saturday morning salesman is mostly the salespeople. Although all the managers are there, I want to speak to them. And um, some of the managers get sort of in the way of that. But um, I, I said, let's have a meeting on Clubhouse. I, I, I think a leader's job is to develop people. And so I thought I could introduce my entire staff to this new platform that maybe they'll run into another leader that they resonate with, that they can learn something from that would benefit us here. You know, I'm not afraid of them seeing somebody smarter than me. There are a lot of people out there smarter than me and I want them to, to see those things. So I, I had everybody um, log on to this meeting at nine o'clock in the morning and I had uh, a wonderful friend, Michelle McLean was going to host the room, moderate the room for me. And uh, at five minutes before the meeting start, Michelle said, um, Brian, did you want this to be a private meeting? And I said, yes, it's just our staff. She goes, there are already 250 people in the room. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> okay, well, we'll make it a public meeting. You know, that's okay. Let me just take a quick look through my notes and take out the stuff that I think is proprietary to Paragon. And it was mostly about, you know, what, what, what is leadership today? What can you look for in leadership today? And um, about a half an hour into the meeting, I looked and we had 
700 people in the room for a completely un unannounced, uh, unadvertised uh, event. And so I, I would submit to you that people are looking for leadership. People are yearning for, hey, maybe you can help me on my path. And you know, my um, mission right now is to help other people on their paths, you know, to develop the next generation of, of leaders and, and high performers. And you're not going to make hard people by being soft on them. And um, I, I tell you that we had the, the, that meeting had 700 people. The next meeting a week later had 1,100 people. And last week's meeting, we had over 2,200 people in the room at one time. We actually had 10,000 people uh, go through the meeting in, in the hour and a half that we were there, uh, lasting and staying over 18 minutes. And according to Clubhouse, that's a pretty good hold on that audience. So, you know, we had, there is, um, a, a yearning for coach. It was a, a yearning for information and for leadership. And, and to the extent that we had a very good panel of people there, we had a diverse group of people that could provide that leadership on this platform. And I think that platform, Clubhouse, fits with our brand essence. It's frictionless. It's very easy to get in. It's very easy to quietly leave. I don't have to log in. I don't have to you know, just click on the app click into a room and you're in, and I'm in control, right? That's something our customers want, shared control of the process. So as a consumer of Clubhouse, I'm in control. I don't like what you're saying, I can go to another room, just scroll up, scroll down, and pick a room that's what I'm looking for. So I'm a student there and I'm learning, and but it's a fascinating, fascinating platform. I, I agree, and uh, I look forward to, to jumping in on that meeting and, and listening to you to speak and, be almost a part of the, your team indirectly, which I think is such a powerful thing. And we yearn for leadership. We yearn for community. And I think the, the app and the format there is such a creative idea that happened almost accidentally, but now is so important. Uh, now, before we wrap up, because I know we're coming at time here, I'd love to provide you the opportunity. If someone were looking for resources, tips, or looking to reach out and contact you, Brian, where, what's the best way to communicate you know, with you today digitally? Well, I'm, I'm, I think I'm all over the place. I'm uh, LinkedIn uh, under Brian Benstock or Instagram under Brian Benstock, or there's a, a website where we have some um, video data, uh, brianbenstock.com. I'm pretty accessible. And certainly I love talking automotive with uh, uh, people that want uh, to further their career, uh, whether here or at another dealership. And, and uh, so I dedicate a couple hours every week to being uh, accessible for things like that, especially for uh, young people that uh, are, are truly interested in investing in time and learning the, the car business. I, I, I think that's a very um, great opportunity for me to be able to recruit, hire, train, motivate uh, the next generation of winners. Uh, and, and, and like you've done today, I appreciate your time, Brian, on the show. Again, guys, this is another, to our audience, another episode of Designing Digital Excellence, Brian Benstock, and we'll see you next, next uh, episode. Thank you very much.